What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 153 as we chat with copywriter Doug Patton about what it takes to write great content, the differences between content and copy, landing high-profile projects with big companies like National Geographic, and how he finds clients, and his favorite place to fly fish. Welcome, Doug. Hi, it's going well, Kira. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How's it going, Doug? It's great to have you here. We should, I feel like we should just kick this off with the fly fishing part. That's clearly the most important part of this conversation today. Let's get, yeah, get right down to it. You, you live in a beautiful part of the world and you get to fish a little bit. Like, Where is your favorite place to, to stand in the water and do nothing for a day? Ah, that's a good question. It's, um, I don't know if I've necessarily found it yet. I have a couple of spots that I can, I can get to within 15 or 20 minutes of where I live. I live um, in the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia in, up in Canada. So we're known as a stillwater kind of haven where people come from all over the world to fish for the legendary Kamloops trout. Um, but I prefer fishing small creeks and streams and things like that with six to eight inch fish. Uh, I find them a little more technically interesting, uh, significantly less busy and just the fish are just so pretty. It's hard to, it's hard to not want to chase after them all day. We start a fishing <laughs> I podcast, like, Kara. Let's be something different. Uh, yeah, I would. I clearly would be the best person <laughs> to run that podcast. Um, yeah, but my goal, one of my goals in life on the bucket list, is to go fly fishing with you, Doug. That's that's up there. It's like number one hundred thirty-five on the list of things. <laughs> well, I'm seriously considering taking my uh, my fly fishing gear with me to Spain. So there's a chance that you could at least try it. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, beyond fly fishing, which we could talk about later too, let's talk about how you got into, um, copywriting. What's, what's your story? I've always been a writer. No, always been a writer. I started writing when I was about 18 or so. And, um, it's really the only thing that I've ever done professionally. I have had jobs that aren't related to writing at all. Um, when I came out of university, I was a delivery driver for a catering company, for example, um, but always, always writing on the side. And um, in 2010, I decided I could not deliver another piece of food uh, and quit my job and just kind of started freelancing. I had no plan, no, no path to take. I just kind of wanted to take a couple of months off and, from working before starting to look for something. Um, and then I just work just kind of started finding me or I started finding work I guess is a better way of saying it after about six years or so of that I I decided and what my sorry what my focus was was on educational content for kids um and after a, a certain point in time I just I hit a wall and I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore and it was starting to really stress me out and it wasn't going the way that I'd hoped it was going to go um and I just happened to be chatting with another copywriter who mentioned copy hackers and that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole that turned me into a copywriter and content marketer. That's awesome. So, you know, as you started to do that, like how did you set yourself apart and how did you come to choose content uh, as your focus as opposed to copywriting? 
the big reason was content was closest to what I'd been doing already. Uh, I have a journalism background. Uh, I studied long-form magazine writing in, in university, and so I knew how to tell a story um, about almost anything, really, but I knew how to get right to the heart of something and how to dig around and find the interesting facts and put it all together in a way that was not only interesting, but like really interesting and engaging. And that's something that I also pulled out of being um, a children's content writer. Uh, and so that just sort of made the most sense to me at the time. And some of the aspects of, of copywriting, like because I was following Joanna Weeb and Copy Hackers, it was all conversion focused and it was all the things that I generally didn't, that I could do, but didn't necessarily want to do, even though I found the process fascinating, I didn't want to talk to people. And um, so that kept me away from um, copywriting for at least the first few years that I was doing it. And tell us a little bit about some of those first projects. I know that you wrote a couple of books. You were working in the education industry. Tell us, you know, how you how you connected with them and what kind of work you were doing. Uh, sure. So I um, I started very young, actually, um, when I was doing this. I I think I wrote my first uh, my first book when I was twenty one, and I had been lucky enough to have a friend who was working with a children's writer in Toronto who went home for the summer and she recommended me. And I just, I connected with this gentleman and we started working together and um, he got me going and really got me going into writing for kids. And we worked on the sorts of things that I eventually ended up working on textbooks and things like that. But he was also launching this new series of books or relaunching this series of books actually that he had written in the eighties and nineties um, called series Canada. And what the goal of these books was, was to hook kids who weren't necessarily into reading, into reading. And um, I never really read them, but I recognized them as soon as I saw them. And they are uh, the authors, a, a gentleman by the name of Paul Kropp and a lot of Canadians who grew up in my era used to use these books as easy ways to, um, easy book report books and things like that. But I was, I was, as a reader, I was lost in other books at the time. Um, so he got me started. We did a couple of books together with him. I helped him relaunch the series and did the teacher's guides and all of that. And I just sort of kept going along that path. Um, as I was coming out of university, my, one of my magazine professors, sisters worked at Scholastic Canada and they needed a children's writer, um, they were looking for a, a male children's writer and I was top of mind because of the books that I'd written and, and all that. And that's how I ended up at Scholastic. And I worked with them for probably five or six years on and off doing educational content of one type or another. So Doug, you said that you, you were kind of brought into the copy hackers world and the conversion copy, but you weren't, you didn't jump into it immediately because you didn't want to talk to people. Can you just, like, why, why don't you want to talk to people? Can you just tell us a little bit more about where, you know, maybe some fears around that or where you were mindset wise at the time? Um, yeah, I don't know that it was necessarily a fear. It was just something that I didn't want to do because at that point I was still coming out of the, I'm a writer state of mind and I worked alone. I did my thing. I sent out manuscripts and I, you know, had my contacts and things like that. Um, and every bit as much as I found the process of conversion copywriting incredibly fascinating, it it didn't appeal to me at that point in time. It was something that was like, uh, this feels like, you know, I understand why we're doing this, but it's not the sort of thing that I want to be doing. Um, 
and I have since completely changed my mind as a result of actually a lot of the work that I did in content helped me understand the, the real value or reminded me of the real value of having conversations with people. I mean, it's no different than journalism where you're, you know, you can, you can write a story from your computer and never leave the office and it can be okay. Or you can actually go out and talk to the people who were there and collect details that you would never actually be able to collect otherwise um, and create a much better piece of writing. So Doug, you mentioned that you studied some conversion copywriting. Before we go any farther, let's talk about the differences that you see between what's traditionally defined as copywriting and what's defined as content. Is there a difference? <laughs> there is and there isn't. Um, it kind of, I think it depends on how you approach uh, both things, especially content. Um, a lot of people look at content as a way of informing and relationship building and it, it totally is. I'm not saying that it's not, but it is also a very powerful tool to, to sell um, to sell with. And so if you're doing it right and you're, you're having conversations with people and you're digging up all of this information and you're putting together really thoughtful and really um, meaty content, it can also be used as a way of, of selling your product and selling what, whatever it is that you happen to do simply um, as a result of building that relationship. It's just kind of the next step. Um, and copywriting is a little more direct, I think at times it can be, it's much more, um, the goal is more to sell than it is to inform, although it, you should be doing both with your copy, but it tends to be a little more um, sales focused. So do you have a framework for content um, that helps you write it so that it does persuade and sell? Because I don't have a content background. So when I sit down to write content, I just revert back to like, the, you know, any type of sales framework I have and just start writing it like a sales page. So I guess I'm asking, is it okay to write content like a sales page? I think it is. Uh, I don't necessarily know that I, or I probably do, but I've never actually mapped out a framework that I use. I like to, um, as much as possible to use stories to kind of pull people in and help people truly understand what's going on or the end the end result that we're kind of going for with a piece of content. So if, you know, if you want to introduce a new product, then you have to set up a, it's kind of like the infomercial thing, only significantly less um, wacky where you introduce the problem. You know, you, you say, here's what you're trying to do. Here's why it's not really working. I guess it's a problem, uh, a pro problem agitation solution sort of thing um, wrapped up in a story. And then you, you launch into what's, um, how you solve it with this product or this course or this offering. Um, but I've never, and I'm, I'm actually trying to figure this out right now uh, by deconstructing what I'm doing and figuring out how I'm, how I'm making the decisions that I'm making or why I'm making the decisions that I'm making. Because for the, for the last 20 years, all I've really done is um, not writing without thinking about it, but writing without thinking about, the process that I'm using. Cause it's such a natural thing for me at this point. I just sit down and I start, I have an outline and I start writing based on that outline, but it's why I'm making the decisions that I'm making is something that I've been really curious about lately and trying to dive a little deeper into that. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to go back um, to your time at Scholastic and uh, writing in the education space, writing to kids, which I feel like is not easy um, to hold their attention, to engage children, to teach children. Uh, so what are some lessons that you've taken away from that experience and that time writing to children, lessons that you pull in today when you're writing for some of your SaaS clients? Well, the, one of the things is um, 
that really, really helps is knowing how to explain things in a more simplified way. Um, because you can't talk to kids. I mean, you can talk to kids in the same way that you talk to adults, but you have to use a slightly different um, approach because I can have a conversation with you and I can explain some big and comp big complicated thing um, and you might understand it, but with a kid, there's a, there's a better chance that they're, or there's, it's more likely that they're just, there's going to be some confusion there because you're using lots of bigger words and you're using a lot of jargon and you're using examples that probably don't necessarily make sense to them. So if I'm trying to explain something like, well, what was one that I did? How space affects your body, um, you have to kind of, and that's outer space, not just like the space around us. You have to, um, you have to kind of break it down a little simpler and you have, you know, a lot of the things that happen up there are the direct result of physics and trying to explain physics to, you know, a grade five student, I mean, trying to explain physics to a grade 12 student is hard enough, but when you have to take it down to grade five, you have to be a lot more engaging. So you use stories, um, comparisons that make sense, like floating underwater as opposed to floating in zero gravities and things like that. Um, and you just try to don't not to condescend to them. Really, that's the big one. It's explaining without condescension because as soon as you start simplifying it to the point where it's condescending, you, you start losing interest every bit as much as if you were just being too complicated with it. So, Doug, as you're looking for clients and working with new clients, what does your pitch look like? You know, are you talking about how content helps them sell their products, or are you talking about how content helps them engage? Are you doing both, or is it something totally different that I'm not imagining? It's uh. It's a, it's a combination of the two. Um, a lot of the time, it really depends on what they're after. Uh, so we have a conversation about about what their needs are and what exactly that they're looking for. And then I'm able to kind of position myself in such a way, because I've been doing this for so long, I can position myself in such a way that I can, um, I can talk specifically to whatever it is they're going for. So if they want sales, then I can use my, you know, the conversion aspect of, of content marketing and talk about how you know, we bring subject matter experts into it. We talk to your customers. We, we make this so that this product is sounds as sexy as possible, even if it's something that's super complicated. And then we use all of that to kind of drive them into either deeper into a funnel or into just a conversation with a salesperson. Uh, if they want to engage and just inform and entertain, then I can talk about I talk about the storytelling aspect of things and I dig into how I used to do this stuff with kids and how, or ultimately the goal there was to just kind of help them understand and to, to build a bit of authority based on what we know and what they don't know. So you mentioned that the writing in the education space was starting to stress you out. I think that's what you said. Um, and it wasn't going in the right direction for you. And I know from, you know, some of our previous conversations that there was a time in your career where you were pretty stressed out and had to pivot. Can you just talk to us a little bit more about what that stage looked like, like what wasn't working for you and how you pulled yourself out of it? Yeah. Um, the biggest, looking back, the biggest problem that I had, um, was because I, I didn't have a plan and I didn't know what I was doing when I started. And I just kind of closed my eyes and took a leap off a cliff and just sort of plunged for a while and never really figured out what I was doing or why I was doing it or who I was trying to market towards. And it wasn't until I stopped, looked at what I was doing and decided I really don't like the way this is making me feel. And I don't think this is a, the best representation of me as a, as a person and as a 
content creator. Um, so I don't think I need to, I don't think I'm going to be doing this anymore. And so I started to focus on things that I could, could do and that I knew I could do very well. Um, and more importantly, I learned how to run a business. I figured out what I was doing, what I was doing wrong. I, I discovered that there were things um, that I should have been doing that I wasn't. And, and it was, it was the, the weirdest, simplest little things like having a network of people. Um, and it, once I realized that, you know, interacting with other content writers and copywriters and, and people like that, the, that they were drive, helping me drive my business and helping me figure things out. I looked back at my career and realized that every single success I had was exactly, was from that exact thing was from the people that I knew and the network that I had the small and kind of insulated as it was, it was still helping me succeed. And realizing that and acknowledging that has really changed every aspect of what I do. What else? Can we dig deeper into that? What else did you realize? Or when you look back, you know, did you realize has really helped you move forward? I guess the the real question is, you know, if you could start your career over as a content writer, copywriter, um, what would you do differently from day one beyond building your network, which you already mentioned? Oh, that's such a good question. I would... um... And I basically did this. I uh, I would learn how to run a business properly um, because I had no idea. I always kind of every time businesses were or business courses were something that I could have taken at school. I, I laughed and said, "Ha I'm never going to need to to do that." Um, I would put more effort into learning how to pitch myself, and I would put some effort into being confident around pitching myself because it's something that I'm still I'm still not great with. Uh, and I, I know that it, it definitely affects my ability to, to land work at times. Um, I would get out into the community more too. I was at, at the time I started doing, uh, started freelancing. I was living right in downtown Toronto, and so I'm surrounded by three, three and a half, four million people, and a significant chunk of, not a significant chunk of them, but enough of them were doing copywriting, content marketing, writing successfully for whatever industry, and. I didn't talk to a single person who did this until I left Toronto and moved into Summerland, which is a town of 11,000 people, if you're being generous. And so if I'd, I realized, if I'd realized that at the time, I would have definitely made more of an effort um, in that respect. And, and again, picking people's brains is, you know, how did you, what are you doing right? What did you do wrong? I would have just had more conversations. I think ultimately with everybody that I could have, I would have had way more conversations with people. Yeah. So you've mentioned this a, a couple of times now that, you know, you, you wish that you had spent more time developing this community. What did you finally do to develop that community? How did you get this so that, you know, it was no longer a problem? Um, well, I joined the copywriter club. It was a huge, uh, a huge first step. Uh, and once I joined the copywriter club, I realized that these, that everybody in these groups were, um, were incredibly helpful and always willing to, or almost always willing to take the time to sit down and talk to you about something or people have more work than they can handle. They, they pass it on. And then I started doing a little bit of in-person market um, networking. I went to call to action at a CTA conference a couple of years ago and met some folks there, both from the club and um, outside of the club. And um, then I just started exploring more Facebook groups and things like that from there. And, 
just meeting people and interacting with them. And it's neat because you start to see the same people in these groups um, in different capacities. Because uh, some in the copywriter group, uh, you know, they might be all jokes and laughs and, and things like that. But in a, in another group, they're they're a little more serious and they're giving legitimate advice. And in another group, they're actually talking about a completely different aspect of things. And it's it was just really interesting to see how people put themselves out there and in turn how I can put myself out there differently as well. And it's still, it's still something that I'm fine tuning, but it's been incredible to sort of see that just you know, how powerful it is and how, how much of an impact it can have. Yeah. Can we quantify the impact at all? Like, you know, how did it change your business as you started to engage with people? You know um, what were the, the impacts on what you were doing day to day? Well, I definitely uh, am more successful now than I have ever been um, when I wasn't doing any of this stuff. Uh, my um, my re- revenue has doubled twice in the last three years, mostly as a result of, of just putting the effort into not necessarily to meeting people and not a hard networking thing, but just as a result of relationship building with everybody else. I, am, I have a better understanding of what I'm doing because I've met people and I've had these conversations. I've made friendships and partnerships. I've entered into mentoring programs and things like that uh, with you guys as a direct result of having met people in these groups and seeing the impact that things like this can have on the, on their careers and, and, and things and what have you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and we, I don't think we mentioned, like we have met you through accelerator program, the first one, and then worked with you in the think tank. So like, clearly you're investing, you're also investing in your own business too, um, time, invest your time, also money. Uh, but I, I, I think that it's, you know, so there could be a copywriter who's listening to you and, and heard you say that you've doubled your re- revenue twice, which that sounds quite attractive. And it's the result of relationship building, which you've stressed, but it's almost like, how do we connect those dots? And I think it's hard for some people to connect those dots, even for copywriters who feel like they're showing up in the right groups but they're still not feeling, they're not feeling it financially. So, I mean, could you help that person who's like, I feel like I'm showing up in the right places. I'm going to networking events, but I'm still not feeling it financially. Like what, is there something in there that you did or you've seen other copywriters do that connects the dots and turns these relationships into real revenue numbers? You know, I'm, I'm sure there are. Or there is something, but I have no idea what it is. I have been trying to figure this out for the last six months because about six months ago, I started to see this build of of stuff again. And I have no idea. I think it's just a persistence thing. It's, it's not a quick game by any means. At least it hasn't been for me. I know for some people, they, they show up and the next day they're making $10,000 a month, but it's, it's been a long, slow process and I'm a very patient person. So I have the I have the ability to just kind of wait for it to happen. Um, and not that I'm being passive about it by any means, but knowing that this is a long game and that it's not an immediate thing has really helped me. Um, I think has really helped me make something happen, but I, I truly don't know. I, I would love to be able to understand what it is that I've done that has made this happen. And I suspect it's as Justin Blackman likes to say that I, I just sort of, I show up and I quietly do really good work and carry on my, my day without, you know, making a lot of noise as a result of it. But there, there could be more to it than that. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like this is this is what I want to figure out in this conversation too, because it's um, I, I agree that it's probably like that consistency of showing up, continuing to build relationships, being you know sticking to this career and not giving up on it. But there's something else. So maybe it's related even to the pivot that you've made in your business which I wanted to talk about as well from content to conversion copy, which you originally said you weren't interested in it at first, but more recently you have moved into more of a conversion role. So I'd love to hear more about that pivot and how you made that pivot. And I'm also wondering if that's played into your, you know, your revenue, doubling the revenue, if that plays a role in it too. You know, I think that that's a good point here. It probably does having different offerings and, being a little more um, in depth with the things that I'm doing and uh, have definitely played into it. But the re- I, I started switching into uh, conversion copywriting after working on projects where I had been talking to a lot of subject matter experts and talking to a lot of salespeople and listening to them say all of these really good things. And this really, I, I would just start getting excited listening to them talk because they were saying, all of the things that I need to be writing down. And there was that little voice in the back of my head going, this is that conversion thing you've been avoiding. And I realized that, well, I, I can do this. I can try and see what happens. And then I started, I've taken on a couple of uh, complete um, conversion website projects in the last little while. And they are so exciting because of all of the bits and pieces of just gold that you get from customer interviews and surveys and, and things like that. And it doesn't necessarily make the job easier. You know, it's still a lot of information to slog through and there's still a lot of, of, of writing, true writing involved and not just assembling messages, but having all that base from, from customers and salespeople and things like that gets really, really, um, I get really excited by it. And so I, I remembering now what I used to really love about journalism and why I kind of got into journalism was getting people to tell their stories and explain why they made the decisions that they made or why they ended up doing this or why, you know, they donated 10,000 pounds worth of food to the food bank or all these toys to charity. And a lot of the times it's, at least in the journalism case, it was, these were, these were such things and, and really powerful stories based on really simple decisions or um and so getting into that from the conversion end of it where why somebody decided to make the purchase that they made um not always as as sweet and tender as why the 80 year old lady jumped out of an airplane but it's just as powerful so is there an easy way to encapsulate this idea you know the difference between regular content that you were doing before and conversion content that you're doing now i might be asking the impossible here but i'm trying to wrap my brain around you know what what is different from what you were doing before to what you're doing now it's heavier not heavier content it's meatier content um it tends to go a little bit deeper than superficial blog posts where you're not necessarily talking to anybody where you you know you spend an afternoon you do a bit of research you write something and nine times out of ten it's pretty good uh when you start going into getting into the interviews and talking to the subject matter experts and customers and salespeople and things like that you start to just you start getting a deeper understanding of of why things are the way that they are and so you at least for me i find it easier once i have that information to explain why somebody else might want to do something like this or why this is the thing that you need. It's kind of cool because 
every demographic, every culture, every company has their own set of words and has a lingo that they use. And when you when you do these interviews, you really get a sense of that. And it makes the copy and the content a little more natural, even if you're using uh, ridiculous um, jargon, you can still use it in such a way that people actually understand it. So if you are, you know, you're sitting across from a copywriter who wants to make a similar transition from writing content to focusing more on conversion copy, what would you say are like the next steps? Step one, do this. Step two, um, are there a couple steps or is it just a matter of really saying I'm going to do it and now I'm, I'm writing conversion copy and, and just kind of uh, planting that flag? I think there's a little more to it than that. You, I think you really need to understand what conversion copy is all about because it's not just interviewing people and using their words. There's a lot, a lot more, there's more of a process involved. Uh, and I think it really helps to study it if you're going to jump into it. Uh, one of the things that I did as I was in copy and all of that was I never really stopped reading about conversion copywriting because it was such a fascinating thing and it involved psychology and, and, and all of that. And I just got increasingly curious and curious and curious and digging into it and and it just slowly started to influence the work that I was doing and then that's right around the same time that I made the shift so if you're gonna if you wanted to trans trans transition out of content into conversion copywriting I would you don't necessarily have to take a course but I would be studying um studying it as much as possible and if you can, slowly working some of the stuff that you're studying into your, your content marketing efforts, because um, you might actually notice that there's, you'll probably notice that there's a huge difference between what you were doing before you started using the conversion um, tactics and after. Cool. So um, I want to take our conversation maybe in a little bit of a different direction and talk about how you've landed some of the awesome clients that you have. You know, I, I hear you talk about clients like National Geographic and I'm blown away. I think it's amazing that you get these projects. So how do you connect with the right people to land this stuff? Or how are you connecting with these companies to get uh, ongoing work with someone like a National Geographic? There's a part of me that wants to say it's pure luck, but I know that it's it's not totally luck because you can meet somebody who works for national geographic but actually getting your foot in the door with that person is a totally different situation or a totally different story it's um part of it is as i said it's being in the right place at the right time when somebody is um talking about that or when someone says i you know i work for national geographic every once in a while we use freelancers um contact me if you're interested and and that's exactly actually how i ended up working with national geographic i reached out to the guy and I had the sort of samples that they they needed to see, which is the other end of it is having the work to back up the claims that you're saying. And that's where, you know, the power of niching comes in for sure or niching. So Doug, it's, you know, it's easy to hear you in this, this conversation that again, like you've doubled your income and you're working with National Geographic and Scholastic and you're lucky, <laughs> like things are just working out for you. I mean, clearly you've put in the time too, and you mentioned that. But I'd like to hear about some of your current struggles. You know, you, based on where you are in your business today, where things are going well in many ways, but at your stage, what are some of those struggles in, in your business? Uh, confidence is a big one, for sure. Um, and in fact, that probably is somewhat obvious based on some of the things that I've said, like it's just luck. Um, because it, I, I am 
I'm at the stage where these things are happening and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, what, like, how am I all of a sudden in this position? Um, I probably shouldn't be here because I'm just some guy living in a small mountain town in Canada. Um, and so I have to constantly remind myself that, you know, I, I have been writing professionally now for over 20 years. I'm, I'm not just some guy with a keyboard. I, I know what I'm doing and I know how to do this fairly well. Uh, and it, it gets, it can be a real problem if I, if I lose sight of that because I get stuck inside my head and I inevitably don't do my best work. So we ask this of a lot of moms, uh, but we don't ask it of a lot of dads. I mean, we should, you know, I know that you, you uh, share caregiving uh, duties with your partner and, and your kids. How do you balance it all? How do you find time so that you can write, but still have all the time that you need for, you know, taking care of your kids and everything else that's going on in your life? Oh, that's, that is a great question because when I started and in fact, when I was in the accelerator, I was the primary caregiver for my daughter. Um, and I was for the first three, three and a half, almost four years of her life. And so balancing all of that was incredibly challenging. Um, it was easier in the beginning when she would sleep more often than she would have. Um, but as she became less of a napper and the naps became harder and sleep and stuff became more challenging, finding the time to actually do all the work and to, was, was uh, a struggle, a, a very serious struggle, actually. Um, so I was taking advantage of naps, like in doing full, really hardcore work sessions in like the 45 minutes to two hours that she would sleep in any given day. And um, I snuck all of my learning and all of whatever networking I could into that time. Um, it, the real challenge actually started when she stopped napping. And it was great for her, but really stressful for me um, because my, I would, I lost upwards of about two hours I lost about two solid hours a day that I could know and guarantee to be focused work time um and that's when I had to start getting a little creative about it so I and I'm, I'm still doing this if I have to I get up at four o'clock in the morning so that I can do two or two and a half hours of focused work as much as possible because once once those feet hit the ground they're just <laughs> and she runs hard until uh like seven o'clock at night and and so that really created a lot of challenges. And that was one of the things that was, I think, not necessarily holding me back in terms of growth, but preventing me from feeling comfortable to really let my business grow to the point that it's at now. And uh, once my wife quit her job and started her own consultancy uh, a little over a year ago, I, I had that power and the ability to kind of relax a little bit and let my business do what it wanted to do. And I started having more conversations with people um, but it's still a challenge because now she's in, now it's summertime and she's home all day and she's not napping and she's still a hundred miles an hour from six o'clock in the morning. Okay. So school, school's coming up soon. So, um, yeah. What advice would you give to other parents who have young kids and, you know, um, or have kids period and are dealing with, we're dealing with summers off, you know, schedules that are constantly changing, um, you have been in it. So is it just a matter of following your path, waking up at 4 a.m., which I have done too. I still do that at times and you kind of have to, or um, any advice to them, especially to deal with that stress and maybe even just some inspiration or motivation from someone like you who's done it 
and worked through it and continued to grow throughout it. Yeah, babysitters are an absolute godsend. Um, we're really lucky that we have a very uh, like barely checks her phone responsible teenager beside us um, who looks after Paige, my daughter, all the time. And uh, that I, I don't know if I would have been able to survive some of the stuff that I had to do um, bef- before my wife left her job if I hadn't had the sitter because it would have just been I would have been crushed under the weight of of having to get all of this work done and having to you know, have my daughter under my feet the whole time. And um, that was really helpful. Being able to call upon parents as well is really nice. My folks um, originally lived back in Ontario, but just shortly after she was born, they moved out here. And, and having them around even part only part of the year is really nice because when we need that support, um, before she went into school, we had them to be able to rely on. So having, again, having a network of support, just like when building your business, having that group of people around you who can help you out is, is incredible. If you can do the early morning thing, it, it's great. It, it makes getting through the day a little bit harder, but being able to work before the chaos of the day starts is, is really nice, I find. Some people are, are late night folks, but I I can't do late nights anymore. Um and it's a it's a perseverance thing more than anything else is just experimenting with what does and what doesn't work for you you might find that oh i don't know <laughs> there's so many possibilities because all every kid is different and and but for me it was it was having a support network again um of babysitters and um parents and things like that that really made it easy easier i guess not easy yeah, it definitely helps. So, Doug, what's next for you in your business? Where do you go from where you're at? Hopefully up. My um, my daughter, as I think I said, my daughter starts school. Uh, actually, she starts school in like five days, not even. And that's going to be the first time since she was born that I will have five guaranteed days of work a week. And I'm I'm really excited about it. It's, it's incredible, um, the thought of being able to have a set schedule for the first time since 2014. Um, and, and I, I honestly don't know what I'm going to do with it all, but I, I'm going to find ways of balancing learning and networking and working and marketing myself and figuring out, um, what actually is going to come next. It's, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about the next few months. I know Kira loves to ask this question, but I'm going to preempt her a little bit. Um, what do you see as the future of content and copywriting? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I would like to see an increased emphasis on quality. I have definitely noticed that in the last few years that the people who really succeed um, are the ones who focus on creating truly quality uh, content. People like Chanel Mullen and um, Jessica Merrick, I, the, the sort of things and the processes that they have in place, I think are going to become more in demand as people realize that, yeah, you can pay somebody to throw up a quick blog post, but if you actually get somebody who's going to do, you know, not necessarily original research, but if you can do original research and interviews and get to the heart of, of the topics, I think that's going to be um, something that comes along in a big way as we, as we push into it. And I'm seeing more and more people going down that road. And it's really exciting because it, it means that we all get a chance to kind of level up collectively and take advantage of all of these paths and trails that people have been working on for the last little while. 
Yeah, I love it. I, I think something very similar. So, Doug, uh, we appreciate you taking the time to drop by. If somebody wants to connect with you, if they want to find out more about conversion content, some changes that you're making in your business, or even how to balance writing as a full-time dad, uh, where should they look for you? Where can they find you? I'm all over the place online. I'm on Facebook. I'm usually in the, the Copywriter Club. I am not as active as I, I once was, but I'm always poking my head in there to see what's going on. Uh, I'm in the underground if anyone wants to find me there. On Twitter, I am at Douglas Patton, P-A-T-O-N for the last name. Um, I'm not super active, but I am, again, I'm there and I do a little bit here and there. Uh, fairly active on LinkedIn, actually. That's probably the spot where I do most of my um online interacting these days. Uh, and if you really like seeing pictures of fish, you can find me on uh, Instagram as well. Yeah. Or just hanging out in the, in the rivers of Western Canada, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thanks so much, Doug, for your time. We appreciate it. It was awesome having you here and uh, thanks. Thank you guys. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.